Welcome to today's teaching service. You're listening to the First Century Apostolic Church FCAC Temagana. We preach, teach, and live the complete and unadulterated Word of God with genuine miracles, signs, and wonders taking place at every meeting with the Holy Spirit. Our aim is to follow in the steps of the apostles and disciples of the First Century Church founded by our Lord Jesus. Prepare yourselves, therefore, for a powerful encounter with the Word and power of God brought to you by Reverend Dr. V.C.Y. Edwards, the General Overseer of FCAC. He is a seasoned man of God who is blessed with a powerful teaching and deliverance ministry. I encourage you, therefore, to join us every Tuesday at our teaching services at 7 p.m. prompt. You will be truly blessed. God bless you as you join us in the service. We thank God for this evening as we continue our teachings on uh, sins against the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have got to know that there are some sins that a person or a believer can commit against the Holy Spirit. And um, there are as many as seven sins. We've looked at four. We're going to look at the fifth one today. The first two, Bible says, are unforgivable sins. Sins that cannot be forgiven. And these are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and insulting or despising the Holy Spirit. These two are not forgivable. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and insulting or despising the Holy Spirit. We've gone on to look at vexing the Holy Spirit and resisting the Holy Spirit. Vexing and resisting. But these are, these are not among the unforgivable sins. The first two are unforgivable. But vexing and resisting may be forgiven. This evening we will continue the fifth one, which is tempting the Holy Spirit. Tempting the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. This evening we are looking at tempting the Holy Spirit. And we take our text, our Bible reading from the book of Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Tempting the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 1 to 10. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And he cut back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, 
Was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So, great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, it was about, a, about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test or to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Hallelujah. Uh, this incident or story, I think, is pretty well known to every believer. The story of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And this was at the foundational stages of the church when the church was being founded. People sometimes argue that these things happen because the church was being founded and therefore God or the Holy Spirit was intolerant. I believe that on the contrary, because now that the church has been founded, now that the church is founded, a lot of work, time, effort, resources have gone in from God to establish his church. So it is much worse now for anyone who attempt, attempt to destroy the church than those who tempted the Holy Ghost at the beginning. It's now worse. It will now be worse for somebody or anybody who tried to, uh, to destroy what has already been established, what has already been founded to try and destroy that. This man saw the possession, he and his wife, and um, they decided that the proceeds or the money, the price was far too much to be given to the church. So they would keep part of the money and um, surrender only a little. Um, this decision in itself amounted to belittling, despising, despising, or downgrading God. Because if you think money that you have that is supposed to be for God is too much for God, then you are trying to say that the money or the money's worth is more than the worth of God. So, right from that, that time, they, they began to sin, and they kept part of the proceeds. That's the fair thing. By despising, belittling God, 
by keeping part of the money. In the same way as some of us, when it comes to paying our tithe, in fact, some people say, I don't need to pay tithe at all, which is very, very wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Anyone who says that tithe paying is not biblical or is past or is no longer required is, is a thousand percent wrong. We're not going to go into that. I just want to let you know. This is applicable. The same thing as those who pay only part, only half, or a certain part of the tithe because they feel that what they have to give to God is too much. How can I be earning 5,000 CDs and I pay 500 CDs to God? How can I be earning uh, 2,000 pounds and I give 200 pounds to God? It's too much. What you are saying in your heart is that the money that is due God, belongs to God, is far more than what God deserves. God doesn't deserve that amount of money. And I know that many Christians are guilty of this sin. In doing that, you are tempting the Holy Spirit. You are telling God that, Lord, I don't think you deserve this money. If anyone said that to you, if having worked a whole month and it's time for, for you to be paid, your employer told you that, well, this is what officially I need to pay you, but I think this money is too much for you. So I only give you half of that, a quarter of that. You feel insulted. You feel despised. But that is the way many of us treat God when it comes to money. So Ananias and his wife brought, brought to apostles part, only part of the proceeds. Only part of the proceeds. The Bible said they laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, asked Ananias, Ananias, is it all that you sold the land for? He said, yes. Yes, that is all. And Peter said, Ananias, before the land was sold, it was yours. Nobody, nobody forced you to sell the land. In fact, if you have to pay tight or give anything to God, nobody, it's not by force. You can decide to pay it or not to pay it. But if you need to pay it, pay the correct amount because the tithe is holy unto the Lord. The Bible says 10% of your income belongs to God. If you, if you are not paying at all, then you are not paying. And if you decide to pay, don't bring part, lady that give to God and tell God that this 10% of what you have given me when it's actually 5 of even 1%. And I said, oh, that is all. So Peter said, well, the land before it was sold, was it not your own? And even after it was sold, you had, you had the power to bring it or not to bring it. Because you said, oh, you're not going to bring anything. But once you bring in it, then you have to be faithful to God, loyal to God, truthful to God. You could have decided not to sell the land. God did not find any fault with you. It's not, it wasn't by force. It was not compulsory. Nobody was coercing you. And even after you sold the land, you were not under any compulsion to bring the money. But if you're going to bring anything to God, then you have to bring what God has exactly asked you to do so. And then Peter said, why have you decided, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? Church, note, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? Because he, what is supposed to be a blessing 
when Satan comes in, turns into a curse, turns into judgment. And now since I feel as well, we're bringing this thing, and out of that, I will, I will, you know, um, take it that they were, were to receive blessing from it. But the blessing now, because they allow Satan to come in, into it, turn into judgment, a curse for them. So Peter said, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart in doing this thing? Every time you hold back part of the tithe or whatever it is, remember, it, it may not be your own decision. It may be the decision of the devil. And therefore, you are telling the Holy Ghost that this is all that I have when it is not true. You are lying to the Holy Spirit. So Peter said, you have not lied to me. You have not lied to men, not to man, but to God. And can a man lie to God? Man, a man cannot lie to God. So we need to take some lessons from that. That's why we are teaching these teachings. And when Ananias heard this, for some reason, he fell down, breathed his last, and died. And those were not, those days were not like today. If today you have to take him for coroner's report and all that, uh, doctor's report. But then, then they, they carried him outside and buried him. Then his wife came in, but the two of them connived, colluded. The wife came in. And Peter said, tell me, Safira, did you sell the land for this much? And the wife also said, oh, yes. That's all that we sold the land for. And then Peter said, why have the two of you agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit by doing this? Tempting, testing the Holy Spirit. Tempting or testing. In other words, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are tempting him. Uh, think of it. You're lying to God. It's like, it's as if you want to do it and see what God will do. Lord, I'll do it. I'll see what you can do. What at all can you do? <laughs> Praise the Lord. What at all can you do? <laughs> I've done it, but there's nothing you can do against me. So now words, you are more or less inviting God to do what, what you think, what, what you can, but you, you are saying, oh, there's nothing you can do against me. So you are tempting God. You are tempting him. You are testing him. Testing him to see what he can do. Tempting him to do something against you. Because of God's mercy and God's grace, God very often does not do anything against us. Even if he does something against you, you may not know it. He won't tell you that this is what I've done as punishment against you. But you may see something happening to you, but you may not relate those things to, be, to your unfaithfulness, your tempting of the Holy Spirit. But in this case, we see how Anas and Safira, they got instant judgment. Because they tested, tempted the Holy Spirit, God responded. God also did something. In response to their tests, to their temptation, God responded. And the two of them died. Husband and wife died. Hallelujah. So tempting the Holy Spirit, therefore, is a very serious thing against the Holy Spirit. It is not unforgivable. It's forgivable. 
but it is very, very serious. And um, it's sad to know that there are many in churches who are guilty of this sin. There are many who are guilty of this sin. And this is what we call tempting or testing the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean? It has to do with deception, trying to deceive the Holy Spirit. Tempting the Holy Spirit has to do with deception. Now we are trying to deceive him. Trying to deceive him. By not telling him the truth, or being loyal, or being truthful, or honest with him. It is therefore an attempt to deceive God. You want to deceive God. Many of us are so used to deceiving each other. Sometimes we even deceive ourselves. Now, when it comes to deceiving God, we 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 belittle God. We think that God is just like the man with the guy we deceived yesterday. So there's been nothing wrong with it. <laughs> so, church, we should never, my brother and myself, we should never, never try to deceive the Holy Spirit because He knows everything. The one you're trying to deceive, tempt, or test knows everything. Before you left your house, before you were, whilst you were doing that thing, he was there with you. And you had to come and tell a different story. Very serious. He is God. And as you know, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. In fact, he fills, God fills the entire universe. In him, we live, we move, and we have our very being. It's everywhere. So, there's nothing that is hidden from his eyes. Nothing that is hidden from his eyes. Everything is naked under his eyes. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He sees everything. He's everywhere, omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. He has power to do whatever he decided to do. So, in tempting him or deceiving him, uh, you are trying to say that he doesn't have the power to respond to your dishonesty. He doesn't, his power is limited. So he can't do anything to you, but you can do whatever you want to him. But he cannot do anything to you. And that's a very serious thing. Um... Sometimes, in tempting the Holy Spirit, we, we want to portray, we want to show to others what we are not. What we are not. Dishonesty, disloyalty. Because Ananas and Sapphira, I'm sure they brought part of the proceeds of money to the apostles. There were many there. They wanted to portray to them. Let them know that this is all that we stole the land for. They were trying to show to those who were there what was not correct, what was wrong, by pretending, lying, that that was the right thing. A lot of times, tempting the Holy Spirit, therefore, involves portraying to others what we are not, what we are not, and what we do not have, what we are not, or what we do not have. And sometimes what is not true, what you are not, what you don't have, and what is not true. 
An example is maybe indulging in a sacred sin. Indulging, living in sacred sins, and pretending to the whole church that you are a devoted, holy believer. When you are not. You portray to the whole church, you want everyone to know that you are holy, devoted, God-loving Christian. But privately, on your own or with others, you are living a double life. You are living a double life. We have examples from way back in the Old Testament. Way back in the Old Testament. Gehazi is one that comes immediately to mind. He tried to deceive. He tried to deceive, thinking that he was dealing with Elisha. And even if you are dealing with Elisha, knowing that Elisha was a powerful prophet, you are dealing with God. Your dealings in the house of God is not just your dealings with the church. It's not just your dealings with your pastor, but your dealings with, the, with God. God is the one that you are ultimately answerable to. He's the one that you are accountable to. So Gehazi, as we know, tried to deceive by lying. And he received, he got instant or immediate judgment by becoming leprous. He became a leper. Bible says, as white as snow. He was to be the successor of Elisha. Imagine it. Gehazi was being trained to take over from Elisha. But because of the sin of tempting the Holy Spirit, not only did he lose the ministry, he became a very powerful prophet. But now we know we're talking about Prophet Gehazi. But it turned out to be a different thing. Not only did he lose his ministry, but he went as far down low as becoming a leper. And lepers were those days abroad. They were not even allowed to come into society. They were outcasts. They were always cast out to the cities or, you know, they live in the communes outside. And that's what happened to Gehazi. Second Kings 5, Second Kings 5, 25, 27. Second Kings chapter 5. 25 to 27. Second Kings chapter 5. Verse 25, 27. And look at what happened between Elijah, Gehazi and Elisha. Second Kings chapter 5. Verses 25, 27. Now, he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, Where did you go? Gehazi. And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Look at that. Verse 25. Now, he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, did not my heart, did not my, did not my spirit go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? When Naaman 
When you chase Naaman and turn back to meet you, I was there in spirit. This is what he's saying. Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, therefore, because of what you have done, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. The leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous, as white as snow. Notice here that because of Gehazi's sin against the Holy Spirit, not only he, but he and his descendants would suffer. He and his entire household descendants were to suffer. So this was a generational care that was pronounced on Gehazi. And immediately, he went away from Elisha, I would say, as white as snow. He had lepromatous leprosy, serious leprosy. Somebody who was supposed to be a, a prophet after Elisha, now a leper, outcast. Outcast. Because of the sin. Not just him, but his descendant forever. Naaman came from Syria. He wasn't an Israelite. He came from Syria and got his healing. He got his healing. But the Israelite who was supposed to be a prophet now acquired Elisha's leprosy. May we never, never tempt the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. We have heard of how Ananas and Sapphira died. And I've emphasized the fact that they were certainly going to receive blessings by selling their possession and bringing the proceeds to the apostles. Definitely they will not, they will not go unrewarded. They will have been rewarded. So not only did they do, lose their reward, but they also lost their lives. Their lives were cut short because of tempting or testing the Holy Spirit. We must be careful, therefore, not to live double life. Don't live a double life. Double life. And do not have double standards. Don't have one standard for yourself and a lower standard for God. No, sir, no, madam. No, sir, no, madam. Never do that. Psalm 51, verse 10. Psalm 51, verse 10. This is a psalm of David. And when I read this psalm, I, I really understand why God forgave David and God called David a man after my own heart. Psalm 51, let's look at verse 10 and we'll look at part of the psalm and see. And I'll show you something from Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That means a spirit that will stand firmly behind you, not a spirit that, that will waver, 
A spirit that is up and down. A spirit that will tell lies sometimes and then speak the truth. A steadfast spirit. Steadfast. Standing firm. This is a psalm that was written by David. A psalm that was written by David. After he has sinned with Bathsheba, somebody's wife, and then engineered or killed her husband. Two sins. Planning, if you look at how David, where God brought David, anointed him, and now that he established him on the throne, how David could orchestrate, engineer, plan the murder of somebody's husband. And the man was so zealous for Israel that he would die for Israel. Yet David arranged for his death. And then committed adultery with his wife and later married his wife. Very serious sin. And God pointed out his sin to him. There are some of us here when we have tempted the Holy Spirit. If there are many of us, there are many who have left this church having tempted the Holy Spirit and their transgressions, their sins, having been pointed out to them. When we point out their sins to them and expect them to repent, they rather become angry. They get resentful. They become furious and they walk out in a rage, insulting the church. Insulting the church is you are insulting the body of Christ. You are insulting Christ himself. Now, David, after this thing, was able to write this, this psalm to the chief musician. You know, his, his prayer of confession, confessing what he had done and everything, he wrote it to a chief musician who composed it into a song. Look at that. In other words, he himself made his sin go viral. <laughs> Something that he did secretly. When it was pointed out to him, not only did he repent, but he made sure that the sin that he committed went viral by composing his prayer, writing out his prayer, prayer of confession, to the chief musician. And therefore, asking the chief musician to make a song out of it, to be sung in the tabernacle. They will sing it, and he will be sitting there when the whole tabernacle will be singing this song about the sin that he committed. How many Christians can do that? How many believers now can do that? And this is what he said. He said, he said, he said to the chief musician, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. He didn't hide it. He came out. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Imagine the whole church singing this song about your sin. Can you imagine anybody in the church doing this? Singing the choruses, singing this song every Sunday about your sin. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Mm. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. If 
Anas and Safira have said, even verse 2, they will have gone score free, and God will have loved them. For I acknowledge, for I acknowledge my transgressions. I, I know, I take responsibility for, my, responsibility for my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. How many, can you think of any Christian who has done something wrong, have been confronted, and we say, like, no, rather we get angry and we walk away and we go to another church. Verse 5 said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me. Purge me. This is someone who is truly repentant and not, he's not shy. He doesn't see it a shameful thing to just declare his sin to the whole world. Purge me with his up and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than stone. May God purge everyone in FCAC. And may God wash us so we shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Now he's going to make a request. Make me hear joy and gladness. That the bones you are broken may rejoice. Hide your faith from my sins, Lord. <laughs> and blot out my iniquities. Hide your faith from my sins. And blot out my, all my iniquities. Creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then he said, he goes on to say now, do not cast me away from your presence. We cast God from our presence. <laughs> we cast God from our presence. We don't even allow God to cast it from us. We cast God from our presence. So he said, do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then he goes on to say, I like this part. I like the verse 10. He says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. In other words, I will now tell people my testimony, what I did, how I sinned, and how you found me out, and how I repented. And I will teach those who are about to sin, those who are sinning, that, please stop. So he said, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. I'm here to see anyone who has joined our church and been caught in the sin of fornication or adultery, and when we have tried to discipline them, they've walked away. I'm here to see one that was standing for the church and said, I, so, so, and so, I did this. This is what I did. This is the sin that I committed against the Holy Spirit. And I was trying to hide it. I was trying to deceive him. I was hiding it, doing it secretly, tempting him to see, no, thinking that you not see me. That's tempting the Holy Spirit, thinking that you will not know. Testing the Holy Spirit. Now he's found me out. So now I know that God is God. That I, know that, I know more than before that God is God. Stand before the church and therefore teach those of us who are there that we should never, never do such a thing. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Sinners shall repent and be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. Now he's talking about killing Bathsheba's husband. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. My mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I will give it. Do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Now, a repentant spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Listen to that. And this is what's composed into a song, sung in the synagogues with all the priests and all the people singing this. And David will be there singing about his sin, about what he did. He was not shy, he wasn't ashamed. He, this is what we call. Um, a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, a repentant spirit. He said, Lord, if you wanted sacrifices, I could have offered sacrifices. I know that would not be enough. Um, the only sacrifice you need from me is a repentant heart. I tried to deceive you, tempt you, and I was caught. You caught me. And I will not lie. I will not confess my sins. Then he goes on to pray. Having done, he goes on to pray for Israel. He said, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion, to the church. Build the walls of Jerusalem. In other words, don't let this sin be a snare for your people. He was the king. So if the king sinned, judgment could come on the people. If the king sinned, God will pass judgment on the people. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Lord, continue to protect Jerusalem, protect Israel. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness. Then after that, you, now you shall be pleased with our sacrifices. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer booze on your altar. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, tempting or testing the Holy Spirit is, a, is something that we should at all costs avoid. And um, like Ananias and Sapphira, what we think is very valuable, we consider God unworthy to receive it all. We consider, it un we consider God to be unworthy. And therefore, we keep back part of it. And we bring parts, hold it up, form of tithes, we hold it up before the Lord, knowing that what is in that envelope is not what's supposed to be there. So, if you're hearing me this evening and you, are, you have heard me, remember that anyone that tells you that typing is wrong, is wrong. He, that person is wrong. That person is wrong. As you seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. Anyone that tells you that even to give an offering is not biblical, 
is preaching error. Preaching error. And she seek repentance from the Holy Spirit. Pretending, deceiving, or trying to deceive, lying, serious offense against the Holy Spirit. We are in his ministry. Every part that we have now, from Lord Jesus, from the Father, we get, Jesus said, he's the helper, he's the comforter. He's everything to us now. And therefore, if you are to have close fellowship with him, communion with him, and to see his power in our lives, we must know how to walk with him. Not to tempt him. Uh, there are times whenever I have to, when it's time for offering, one thing I look at is, I look at sometimes, oh, this week, how much money have I given to people? Oh, I, this person came, I gave him 50 CDs. On two days ago, I gave this person 20 CDs. I gave to, so now it's time to give to God. If I give this person as a gift, 100 CDs, how can I give 100 CDs to God? <laughs> I give 100 CDs to, to man. To man. Now come to the house of God, now it's time for me to give an offering, and I want to give 20 CDs. That's the way I see things. So I always try to go over and above what I've done for man, for somebody. I try to do more for God. And these are the things that guide me when it comes to giving to God. If I could give 50 CDs to this person, this man, this person, just yesterday, now it's time to give to God. How can I give the same 50 CDs to God? I have to give more. Even if it's 60 CDs, I'll give more. So I don't just give offering, but I consider a lot of things before I give my offering. I don't just give. I don't do anything, any, I don't do things anyhow. Everything I do, everything I say, a lot of thoughts, considerations go into it. I may not get everything right all the time, but I'm human. But I think God knows that I try. And I may forget some things or make mistakes, but God knows that they were not intentional. I wasn't trying to tempt the Holy Spirit. So let this word reverberate. Let it echo in your spirit throughout your entire life, whether you are young or old. Remember these sins again, the Holy Spirit. Number five, them now. We'll look at two more in the next two weeks, and then we end it there. And I believe that as you follow these teachings and you live by them, you begin to see more and more of the power of God in your life. And may you see the power of God abundantly in your lives. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for participating in this teaching service. We believe you have been blessed by the word. You're welcome to visit us at Emma Community 5 of PV or being run about. God bless you and we hope to see you next Tuesday.